Let me just say that this past weekend is my wife. So my wife, Christy, is going to be sharing today uh, an amazing message. And as she was preparing, I had the blessing. I was blessed to be able to take care of all three of our kids and, and run them around, do the things that she normally does. And so I'll just say I have a whole new appreciation for motherhood. Uh, I had ramen last night which I haven't had ramen. <laughs> I got to cook dinner and I'm like, kids, we're having ramen. <laughs> so I think the kids are really excited to have mom back too. <laughs> uh, but I've got a, just a quick video. If you can, if you can show the video now, this is, uh, Here we of, are. this is our children. Day today, and this is Caitlin Riken and Aaliyah. And the question this morning is, how do you raise a good mom? Caitlin, we'll start with you. Don't even get me started on how to raise a good mom. You have to teach her how to take you to sporting events, how to take you to school, how to take you to birthday parties. You even have to teach her how to clean the house and do the dishes. It's been rough, but we've seen progress. You have to teach her how to clean your rooms, how to vacuum, how to water the plants. Not the easiest. So I have the honor to introduce my wonderful, beautiful wife. This is Christy. Can you give her all a big hand? Okay, how, yeah? I feel like we're going for the Olympics, and sometimes it does feel like the Olympic trials that you're preparing for in motherhood. We're gonna touch on that, but I think I'm gonna set them right there. They're a beautiful prop. Uh, good morning, I'm so glad you guys are all here. You saw my three kids, which is fun. I actually put together a couple of pictures for them to introduce them, they've introduced themselves. Uh, do you have those pictures of the kids? Um, we want to say, oh, there they are, Caitlin, Riken, Aaliyah, and then the next slide, if you could, is um, all of us with my parents who live in Florida, so many of you have never seen them. They may be out later in the summer, but um, that's us, and with our white dog, Winston. Um, so I just want to welcome you all this morning. Should we pray? I think we should pray. I feel like it. So we'll be quick. So God, thank you for this morning for this opportunity to share uh, just what you've put on my heart. We thank you that you're going to open each one of our hearts for mothers, parents, sisters, brothers, sons and daughters, all of us here, Lord, to just hear the encouraging word that you have to give today. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. Jesus, lead us forward in this church. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I was grabbing my laptop, and like every good mom, my prop fell out of my purse. I did not put this in my purse this morning, but when I went to get my Bible and my laptop, it's, you know, a lovey or something. They're always around in places, right, moms? Sort of. Oh, right. Um, 
So this morning, as I open this up, I want to share a little bit about what I've been working through as a mom, uh, what I've kind of been experiencing the past, oh, it's been 12 years, but um, I'm not going to go through 12 years, just what I've noticed more recently in my own heart and something the Lord's been showing me, and I think it really will encourage all of us. So the title of my message today is, It's in the Waiting. We have a slide, and I used a um, dog because we love dogs, um, and he's really sweet. We used to have a golden like that, and now we have a white one like that, which is wonderful too. They leave a lot of hair around the house. They help you become good at motherhood and cleaning. Oh, I see some of my youth kids. I help out with the youth group, and I love you guys that are here because you're here for baptisms, not just for moms. Um, but what the Lord's been showing me, he said, he gave me this verse. If you could put the next slide up, it's Galatians 6, 9. And, oh, can I pause that? I wanted to read you something really quick funny. Yeah, we have time, really quick, okay. This is good. I found a description of what moms do. It's a job description, and I wanna share it with you. And a lot of you can sympathize, because if you're not a mom, you had a mom, okay? So, position, mom, mother, and mommy. Job description, long-term team player needed for challenging permanent work in a chaotic environment. Candidate must possess excellent communication and organizational skills and be willing to work variable hours to include evenings, weekends, and frequent 24-hour on-call shifts. Some overnight travel required to include trips to primitive camping sites on rainy weekends and all-day sports events in distant cities. Travel expenses will not be reimbursed. <laughs> Responsibilities. Lifetime commitment. Must be willing to be yelled at, bitten, and disliked temporarily must be willing to hold tongue in numerous situations, must possess the physical stamina of a pack mule, and be able to go from zero to 60 in three seconds flat in case this time there really is blood, <laughs> must be willing to face stimulating technical challenges, such as small gadget repair, mysteriously sluggish toilets, and unmovable zippers, must screen phone calls, maintain calendars, and coordinate production of multiple homework projects. Must have ability to plan and organize social gatherings for clients of all ages. Must be willing to be indispensable one minute and a complete embarrassment the next. <laughs> Must handle assembly and product safety testing of half a million cheap plastic toys and battery-operated devices must always hope for the best and be prepared for the worst, must assume final and complete accountability for the quality of the end product, must be responsible for floor maintenance, garbage removal, weekly grocery inventory, dog walking, litter box cleaning, pet fish burial ceremonies, and overall janitorial work throughout the home. Possibility for advancement and promotion? Virtually none. <laughs> Your job is to remain the same and in the same position for years without promotion or accolade. Requires constant retraining and updating of your skills so that those in your charge can ultimately surpass you. Previous experience required none. But on-the-job training is offered on a continually exhausting basis. 
Wages and compensation, none. Actually, you get to pay them. A balloon payment is due when they turn 18 because of the assumption that college will help them become financially independent. When you die, you give them whatever you have left. <laughs> Benefits, this is the end. While no health or dental insurance, no pension, no tuition reimbursement, no paid holidays, no stock options are offered, this job supplies limitless opportunities for personal growth and free hugs for life. So mom, we applaud you, moms all over, that we applaud you. My mom's watching. Uh, it is a cute, it's a cute and funny uh, kind of synopsis of, of what a mom does. And what the, the Lord was showing me, and that illustrates it a little bit, is just that um, there's a lot that we do that can be unseen, as all parts of our lives, not just moms, dads, siblings, um, grandparents. There's so much that we can do that we don't get an accolade for. And so the Lord was giving me this verse, and he said, you can go ahead and put that slide up, Galatians 6, 9. He gave me this verse that says, do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is uh, the anchor verse for my message that I want to share with you this morning. I'm just going to try to build this. It's, we're not going super heavy theological. We're going to build right around this, so it's pretty simple. Um, so I was talking to the Lord, and this is kind of how, I'm just going to kind of give you a window into what I do. I'm a mom, so I just thought, well, I'll just share from my own experiences. But the Lord just gave me this verse, and he said, okay, I want you to, I want you to work through this, kind of start turning this over in your head, Christy. So it's been a couple weeks, and um, the first thing he was telling me, and in the verse, it says, don't get weary of doing good. So if you could put the next slide up, it says, um, we're going to talk about the first point, is hang in there. So, so many of us moms and um, non-moms, those of moms, we feel like we're going to grow weary. And the, clearly, Paul in early Galatia, he was saying the early church, they were growing weary. They were getting tired of doing good. So I was like, like Lord, am I really getting weary? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I feel like I'm doing okay most of the time, right? Like, kind of chugging along, doing your thing. And I thought, oh, yeah, there's definitely been times where I'm getting weary. I'm getting tired of this. You know, I'm like... Are we doing more laundry? Are we doing more dishes? Are we picking up more toys? Do I have to find things everywhere I go in my personal space? <laughs> um, but I felt like the Lord was saying, yeah, Chris, you've definitely been weary at times. And I know a lot of us have felt that way as well, that uh, there's seasons when we're getting tired of doing good. And the verse says, don't grow weary in doing good. So my thought was, well, Lord, I don't, I think maybe that's part of it is I don't necessarily feel like I am doing good. Like I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm doing dishes, laundry, uh, you know, wiping bums when they were little or diapers, all kinds of stuff like that. And it didn't necessarily feel like this was the good work. I mean, this isn't glamorous. When you get on um, Pinterest and things like that, you can see what everybody's doing, right? And you're like, oh, my, my life does not look like that. You know, you don't want a snapshot of what's going on behind the scenes at my house. I'll just tell you that right now. It's not beautiful. So he's just saying, but Christy, listen to me. You really are doing the good work. This is the good work. And mainly because you're doing what I've called you to do. You're being obedient in what I've asked you to pursue. It's not about exactly climbing the summit mountain or feeding a million orphans. All those things are good, but why would we be doing it? And that's what he's getting at for me. 
he was going to that point of saying, why would you be doing what you're doing? If you're doing what, if you're being baptized because the Lord's called you to be baptized this morning and you're following the Holy Spirit, that's why you do it. We do what we do because God's called us to do it. We're walking in obedience with him. And he said, ultimately, that's the good work. The enemy is really tricky. Um, I found that he uses outside influences a lot to try to sway us. It was happening back in the early church time, and it happens now. Uh, a lot of us are on social media. Moms, do we want to admit it or not? Some of us are. Some of us aren't. Uh, but if you do take a look at social media, I'm surprised at the high demand that people think are you're supposed to be producing now. Has anyone felt this way, where you're supposed to be sort of like an expert at everything? I was looking at... Um, I was looking at, I think it was Facebook. You, you, you have this feeling that you need to keep up with everybody in the world now, right? I mean, you have the ability, so you should be able to keep up with everyone. And now there's the Pinterest, where I feel like I need to be a graphic design artist if I want to put anything up on Pinterest, really. Like, it has to be filtered and cropped and all this stuff. I'm like, I can't keep up with this. You know, I'm, I'm like wiping up the counters and trying to pick up toys and walking the dog, you know? And I feel like it's just... It just doesn't feel like that glamorous life. And the enemy, I feel like, is often trying to pressure us uh, into doing more, to being more. I feel like for men, I feel like you can't hire somebody to do a professional work anymore. Now you got to be the professional, right? Because you can get on YouTube. You can learn to do anything that's under the sun on YouTube. So why not, why not just do it yourself and get it done and say, like, yeah, I built a new, what are those, those tiny houses, you know? I feel like people are like, oh, yeah, I'll just go buy to build a tiny house and pull it around behind me. You know, as I go on my next camping trip, it's amazing kind of the expectation that the world's putting on us. So I feel like um, it can be a real battle. I don't know if you all feel that way, but it can, it can feel like a battle for me that the world's pushing us one direction and God's saying, but just do the good work. Just stay the course, be steady, be obedient. Um, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And his commands are simple. It's love God and love others. It's really basic. Once Jesus came on the scene, he's like, you know, the law and the prophets, everything, everything before the New Testament, love God, love others. So if we're doing that, we are doing the good work. We're doing what God's called us to do. Uh, this is another great verse that I found last minute. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does God, the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And that's Micah 6, 8. And I feel like that's just a really good, quick glimpse, Micah 6.8, of what it looks like to do the good work of the Lord. And I love how it ends, walk humbly with the Lord. If we're walking with him, we're doing good things. That's the highest calling there is, really, right? So I want to encourage you, and this is the, the encouraging part. The next slide, if you could put up, is, is the waiting. The next part of the verse says, for at the proper time. And we love to buzz past this part. Um, for at the proper time, ooh, that was kind of cool. I like faded in and out of that slide. <laughs> um, for at the proper time, and this is where I want to sort of hover for the next 10 minutes, five minutes, is that it's easy to say the end of the verse says there will be a harvest, but we skip over for, for at the proper time. And I was talking with the Lord about this. I was like, well, what, what's so important about this? What's, what's the big deal about the proper time? And he's saying, well, remember, the world's telling you to look for the harvest, to go for the harvest. But there's three seasons that lead up to a harvest season, right? And there's so much that's being done in a harvest, in the, 
the plowing, the planting of the seed, the waiting and the watering of the seed. And it's easy for us to feel like if I'm not seeing a harvest right now, then I'm, I'm not being productive, I'm not doing good things. I'm not, must, my life really isn't accomplishing anything. Why am I even here, right? Like, why do I keep waking up, getting my kids up, doing the, the breakfast, the lunches? This, it just feels a little bit, it can feel meaningless. I mean, I'm sure some of y'all have felt there, right? You mean like you, you get to this point, you're like, huh, I just keep doing the same thing. I'm spinning in circles. I've got nothing to post on the internet to say that I've done something amazing. But it's the waiting. There's a, something that God's doing in that hidden place. I want to talk to you about this, and I feel like the Lord's showing this to me. He's saying, Christy, don't underestimate this season in your life. Don't underestimate this 12 years of motherhood where you feel like there's no great glory to show. There's no gold medal. You don't even get a participation award when you're a mom, right? I mean, like, everybody gets a participation award now, but not moms. We, but we did get flowers. Good job. I like that. Uh, so anyway... I think we need to take a, look, a closer look at what God's doing in this, in this waiting season. Um, this is the hidden place. There's no cameras. There's no soundtrack playing, like, of your favorite music, you know, to go along with your video. There's no stage lighting. Uh, there's no filters to add to it to make you look good. This is the, the, the harder time. I call it the training season. For guys, we were thinking, Mike and I were talking, it's kind of like the off season, right? You see the football season for, I don't know, I'm going to get this wrong. Is it three or four months? Longer. Longer? But the training season, the, all the parts you don't see, the high glamour, they only play 12 games, right? Unless, unless they win. JR is helping me out. Thank you, Poppy. So preseason, I'm trying to help you men stay in, in touch with us women. <laughs> and I'm not getting there. So anyway... You can even go watch them train, but it's not glamorous. Like, I looked up some videos of what, you can't even find videos. I was like, oh, I'll show them all what I mean by what it looks like to train as an athlete. I was an athlete in high school, in college, and I thought, oh, yeah, there's got to be some great, like, glamorous to music training videos. No, all the training videos are even boring. They're like, sit-ups. There's no music. There's just somebody breathing and doing sit-ups. You're like, that's terrible. That's boring. But training is boring, and that's what we're in. We're in for three seasons. We're in the training. So sometimes we're like, the world's saying, produce, produce, show me your harvest, show me what you're doing. But guys, a lot of it, a lot of it, we're in training. So I want to share something, like for me, that was really, I was talking to Mike about uh, being a mom and what's the hardest part about being mom. And I think you all can sympathize or, or relate to this is um, I'm gonna share a story. So our kids go to the school here at The Rock and we were going on a field trip. I was a host mom, right? Because that's one of your sign-up duties as mom is you get to go on all the field trips, which is always what you want to be doing on your Fridays when you normally don't have your kids with you, you know? And you're, so we went to see Aladdin. Sorry, I'm trying not to. My child right here, I love her to death. <laughs> and I really had fun. It was really, right, it was better than we thought it would be. She was skeptical too. It was a kid's production of Aladdin. And we went there and you could see the 74 kids, right? They'd come on stage, they'd go off stage and they'd do their thing and come on. But in between every scene, there was these people, they had like, their heads were covered in black, their bodies were covered in black, their 
all their legs, even their shoes were black, and they were trying to be really quiet. You know, they run the stage run. I don't know how you do it. Who's in theater? <laughs> There's a stage run, so you don't make noise, so you're completely unseen. And I thought, you know, that's what I've felt like for a long time. I've felt like one of those stagehands, like you're doing everything to make people look really good, like get your kids ready and make them look good, get dinner ready, make that look good, you know, make your house look good, but you kind of feel like you're unseen. And that's where the Lord was like, yeah, but this is a good place to be. This is your training season. And without the training season, there's no Super Bowl. There's no, there's no Olympics. Um, he was just speaking to me in, in a good way, in a really good way. And he backed this up. Of course, I love how the Lord backs himself with his own word, right? So I'm like, well, maybe I'm not quite hearing this right. You know? But then he said, remember Matthew 6, right? Where there's, he, Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, and I, this is my Christie Christ summary. He says, when you fast, when you pray, when you tithe, don't do it with a trumpet. Don't do it to be seen by others but do it in the secret place. And when your father who sees in secret sees you, he will reward you openly. So I love that, that there is a great importance to the Lord that we are doing those secret things, that we are doing things that aren't there to be seen and published by everyone. It's our training ground. It's our getting ready for the harvest. Um, what he's doing in the heart, in that secret place, is, is really what makes us ready for a harvest season. It's the most important thing. We always want to look to the great, the, the gold medal, but it's the important part of it was the lead up. Okay, so uh, I want to go ahead and tell you a little bit of a story. I'm going to help bring this down, not from my own life, but I'm trying to apply it to someone else's story too. Um, I shared with you that I played some sports growing up, mainly tennis. Mm. And we did a lot of training. There's a lot of early mornings. Um, I used to get up before school and play from 6 to 7, and then go to school and then pay a play from 4 to 6.30 uh, on the weekdays and then the weekends. They're, they expected about six hours on a weekend, uh, on, each day on a weekend. So it was a lot of training. But I want to tell you a story about someone else in tennis, because that's what I like, is I like tennis and I'm up here, so that's fun. Um, there's two sisters that came onto the tennis scene. Their names are Venus and Serena Williams. You might be familiar with them. Anybody know who they are? Anybody? Yeah? Okay, good. That's good. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about them. When they were very young, their dad decided that they would be tennis stars. They were the youngest of five siblings. And he said, you know, I think it would be really great if they didn't have to work as hard as you know, some of the rest of us have worked, and I'm just going to start them in training. So he decided at four and a half, they'd go into two hours a day on the court in a very difficult place. He took them to the worst part of the neighborhood in California they could find, and they actually moved there so they could live in a very difficult suburb where there were gunshots going off. There were drunks laying around their tennis courts where they trained. There were potholes. He said sometimes they had no net. And this is where they started. And this is where it wasn't glamorous. They were just little kids, and they probably didn't like it very much. Fast forward a few years, they're about 13 or 14, they moved to Florida, and that's where I grew up, and that's where I was playing tennis. And uh, they started to try out a tennis academy, which is where you go if you're, like, amazing, you start to, like, get on the fast track, right? It's kind of like, I don't know, I'm sure that's there for all kinds of things, baseball, music, all those things. You get into, like, an academy, a training school. 
And their dad didn't love the way they were being coached there, so he pulled them out and he said, nope, I'm going to take over coaching again. Let's get going. And he put them into hiding. He took them to some small courts. He had the courts, uh, there's, on tennis courts, there's windscreens, that green thing that goes around the fencing, and it's supposed to keep wind out. He triple layered the court so that you couldn't see in. And he began to train them on his own. And he trained them with only the most difficult circumstances. He trained them with adult male professional players. He would hire them and bring them in. They were 14 years old. Venus was 14. Serena's a little bit younger. And they would have to learn in this setting. No one knew what they were doing. They were not allowed to play the local tournaments. So I was playing tennis at that time, but we didn't really know. In Florida, we didn't know who these girls were. And an article came out about them. And I remember I said something like, Venus is out of this world. And I was like, who is that girl? Like, she doesn't play tennis. I've never seen her. You know, thinking, well, if she's that good, you would have seen her at some of the big local tournaments, right? Um, so he hit them, and he trained them, and he taught them. And they came out of that training, out of that hidden place, and they were so strong. They took the tennis world by storm. No one knew what to do. They had been trained differently. They had been taught differently. They had been um, exercised to an extreme that women and girls at that time, they weren't being forced to do that. I want to read to you some of the harvest that they gained from this time. So for Venus Williams, she has thus far seven career grand slams. That's like the US Open, Wimbledon. Those are the big ones. She has four Olympic gold medals, 49 singles titles. That means she's won 49 tournaments so far, and over 40 million in prize money. Her younger sister, who has surpassed her at this point, has 23 Grand Slam titles. She has won each of the majors at least a minimum of three times. So that's the French, Wimbledon, the US, and the Australian. Three times at a minimum. She has four Olympic gold medals as well. She has 72 singles titles. And she's won, so far, 84 million in prize money. That's just prize money. That's not endorsements. Uh, and so what I want to share with you, though, is that there was this, we see the gold medals, we see the money and all that stuff, but we forget about the years of the hard, the hard part, the difficulty of the training. And I feel like the Lord wants to say, guys, don't try to skip the training. This is your season to grow. This is what I'm using this for, to get you ready for the harvest. I want you ready for the time when it's your day to stand up. There's a hole right here. <laughs> I'm just smelling it. <laughs> I'm going to scoot that over. Uh, when it's your day to come forward and really do what the Lord's called you to do, there, you have to have gone through this training season. So let's, let's take it back to the Bible because I don't want to talk all about tennis, even though I like it. Okay, so let's think of some training grounds of the greats that we know, right? So Abraham. Abraham, his training ground, he was a desert nomad, and he was childless. Moses, he's another, you know, pretty big standout in the Bible. He was hidden in a basket. He was raised in a palace, but then he wandered the desert for a long time before God called him. Ruth... Well, before she did anything that was noted in the Bible, she was really a widow, a foreigner, and she was homeless. Esther was an orphan and an immigrant. John the Baptist, he was a desert wanderer and he ate bugs and honey. That's not glamorous. 
that's not something, well, you might post that. I do know someone that posts something like that. Uh, <laughs> I know, it's weird. Uh, Matthew was a liar, a cheater, and a tax collector. James and John were fishermen, and they, were, they worked for their father. And Jesus was a carpenter, a laborer, and he was called an illegitimate son. So if we want to take note of what the Lord does when he chooses to use someone, we need to take note of what happened before the great stories that we remember from the Bible. We need to take note of what he was doing in their preparing, in the plowing, in the seeds that were planted. God is so faithful that in the seeds that planted, there's always a harvest. He always brings something out of that. If we're planting good things, we will harvest the great and glorious things. It may not always be on this earth. We were talking about Jesus and we're saying, yeah, Jesus' harvest was what, like, well, he had 12 disciples, apostles. One of them betrayed him. He died. Really, no one was at the cross of those, of his little, his mini church at that point. But then, after he dies, he rose from the dead. He comes back. They're meeting in the upper room. And then Peter goes out and preaches, and 3,000, in one message, 3,000 come to the Lord. They come to believe in Jesus. So sometimes the harvest isn't even just for today and this world. Sometimes it's something we may not ever see. I think about this with our teachers. Um, there's a slide there, if you can put up, about um, Aaliyah drew a picture recently in school. This is it. And uh, it's springtime, so she's in kindergarten, and they're talking about plants and what they do. And I love that even in this time, if you'll take a look at the illustration, she's my artist, uh, it's called The Steps Of, because we write linguistically right now, of the plant. The sun, which you can kind of see in the top, she wrote one and then sun, and then she wrote two, and soil is S-O-O-Y-L, so there's soil that you need. Three is the water, W-O-D-R, water. Uh, and so, but do you notice in this picture, even when kids are young, do you see how many times there's no harvest? There's like situation one, two, three, four, and there's really nothing to show for what's going on, right? This is that part that we're not seeing the harvest. And so even when we're young, the Lord is teaching this, this that there's a lot going on in this season when you feel like you have no gold medal to hold up, when you don't feel like you're winning the Super Bowl. You're not, you may not feel like you're winning in life at all, but God says, stay steady. This is where the important stuff's being done. This is where your character is being formed. Uh, okay, let's see. So what do we do to continue in this hidden place? And this is where I was... You don't need to throw the slide back up. That slide was a perfect example. When we're in the hidden place, we water the seeds that we've planted in our life with Scripture. We go back to the promises of the Lord. We declare them over our lives. We take that time in the secret place and we pray over what God said to us, the things he's told us about, where we're going, and what we're going to do with our lives. There's a um, great verse um, that, we, that I, I love this verse. It's 1 Peter 4.10. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And so we know that God gives us gifts. So it's a matter of, okay, Lord, you've given me this gift. How do I water it? How do I sow into it? What do I do to use this gift to bring glory to you? Because that's, that's why we're here. 
And then the last slide and the last part of this message is the promise. You will reap a harvest. Victory, right? <laughs> Aren't we excited? I mean, this is the good news. Like there is, this is the promise. This is what we get to hold on to. So even when it's really hard, moms, when your days are really hard and it feels like you're not getting anything done, hold on to the promise that God is forming his character in you. That is what's going on. That's the great thing that's happening is Christ-like character is being formed inside of us to bring us into this season of harvest. If we don't have that, we can't har handle harvest well. We've got to be ready for that when it comes. So the training is the three seasons, right? There's a, there will be a harvest as promised, and the most valuable is the eternal re reward that we will have the crown that we'll receive for doing what God's asked us to do, that we get to cast at the feet of Jesus and say, you were worthy of all of it. You were worthy of everything I did, all of the unseen moments, all of the no accolade, all of the no gold medals and no Super Bowl trophies. That's what's worth more. And that's what he's calling us to. Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And I love that. That is one of those that we can hold on. He goes on to explain that there were so many faithful in the Bible that didn't always see their promise fulfilled. Some of you know that the great hall of faith, I think some of these people call it in Hebrews 11, that just lists, if you need to be encouraged to hold on and to stay steady, go read through some of these things these people went through. You know, I feel like, boy, if, it, if I knew I was climbing to the top of the mountain, I could hold on, you know, like I know where the end is coming right? You see that mountain, you're like, okay, this is going to be hard, but we're going to do it. The harder part is when you don't see the end coming. And you're going, I am plowing away, and I am plowing away, and there, there's no end mark. Uh, when is this plowing ever going to end? When's the training season over? I don't really know. And that's the hardest part for me. That's what's been hard as a mom is that, how long is this season going to last, you know? And like, you moms that are ahead of us, it lasts a lot longer than you think when you get that baby at the hospital and you take it home, right? You're like 18, 19, 20. I mean, it can be in the 40s, the 50s. I don't know. <laughs> don't tell me. I don't want to know. So anyway, so any, what we go after and what the, the, the word calls us to go after is don't go after the worldly stuff. It only brings you reward for the day. So if you get an applaud or you get a like on Facebook or you get a whatever heart on Instagram, and you know, like, oh, I love your picture. That's it. That's all you get for that effort that you've got. But when we go after what the Lord calls us to, there's an eternal reward. He gives us great things. I want to pray for you guys as we close. Um, God, we thank you that you are so faithful. Thank you for this seed that you've planted in our hearts today. I pray that our heart would receive it, that it would fall into good soil, that your word would go deep and encourage your kids I thank you for this family of believers as we all parent, as, a, as we all help each other grow. God, I thank you that, that you are doing good things, that these are going to be lasting rewards. God, we thank you for those that were baptized today. We give you glory and honor. That's why we're here, is to bring your kids back into your kingdom just like we are. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Thank you.